Welcome to the Zoo Town, affordable housing podcast. Affordable is stable, afford means that you're able to make your wages last through their rent and expenses while even retaining some senses. Stability with the ability to do things differently with dignity. Greetings and thank you so much for listening to Zap, the Zootown Affordable Housing Podcast. My name is Becca, and I will be your host and voice gatherer for the duration of this exploration into the current housing crisis facing Missoula and the nation. If you or anyone you know would like to contribute an interview, if you want more information, or to find out how to support ZAP, please visit rebeccakelly.podbean.com. That's Kelly with an E-Y. For the first episode of ZAP, I wanted an overview of Missoula's housing market, where we're at, how we got here, and where we're headed. I approached Colin Bangs, who recently retired from real estate, having acquired his license and been active in Missoula since 1972, a career spanning 46 years. First a realtor, and then a partner with Dave Edgel, building entry-level housing in Missoula, Colin made affordable housing a focal point of his work, becoming more and more involved over the years with government affairs relating to affordable housing. He has made countless trips to Helena over the years to lobby for housing matters on behalf of the Montana Association of Realtors and is still involved in various committees related to affordable housing in Missoula. For example, he was one of the founders of the Missoula Organization of Realtors Government Affairs Committee and served on it for almost 40 years. For the past seven years and to this day, he is a member of the Missoula Housing Authority's Board of Directors. He was also involved in the creation of Missoula's Housing Report, a yearly summary of the latest stats on the local housing market, started in 2007. I greatly appreciate the time he took to speak with me, and I hope that you benefit and learn from the conversation as much as I did. And now, please enjoy the first interview of my first podcast, ZAP, the Zootown Affordable Housing Podcast, Recorded on location in a somewhat echoey room at the University of Montana Library. Colin Bangs, first of all, thank you so much for giving this interview. And we are basically going to cover an overview of Missoula's housing market. You are going to give us a summary of, first of all, how bad is it right now? How did we get here? And what are we going to do about it? And you prepared so many items, and you'll be taking uh, information from the 2011, 2016, and 2019 Missoula Housing Reports, as well as making Missoula home, Missoula's housing policy. And that was implemented in uh, June 2019, or signed at least. Yeah, yes. And why don't you just go ahead and tell our listeners a little bit about where you're coming from, you, to me, are the perfect person to do the first interview for this podcast. And when we sat down for the first time and spoke, you gave me such an amazing rundown on the history of affordable housing in Missoula. And that's what we're going to go over again today, except possibly a little bit more in detail. And let me tell you, that was a way more and a way better uh, history education than I ever received uh, in all of my real estate training. <laughs> been around longer than most. (laughs) Yeah, which is just what we need to start off this podcast. And uh, also, I just wanted to thank you before we even start for having the desire in the first place to share your knowledge with us and with the people of Missoula, because this is what we really need to know about. And that's Mm -hmm. why I'm creating this podcast. And I'm so grateful to you and other folks who have agreed to interview who will be coming on this podcast uh, and sharing what they know as well. Well, it's it's my pleasure because I've been fighting this battle for over 40 years and it's getting to the point that the really positive thing I can do now is to pass the information on to the next group of people and let them carry the ball. 
Well, thank you for fighting the battle, as you say, all this time, and we're going to get closer to what that battle has been about. Well, it's a battle not between people. It's a battle against some of the realities that we're facing. And, and we're in a tough place in Missoula. So let me start by saying that, that all of these statistics I'm going to be using are coming from the Missoula Housing Report, which is a report put on annually by the Missoula, Missoula Organization of Realtors in combination with the National Association of Rental Property Managers, Missoula Housing Authority, University of Montana Bureau of Economic Research, Homeward, and others. So it's, it's, it's a broad-based annual look at the state of housing in Missoula, especially directed towards affordability of either home buying or, or renting. And, and, and if folks would like to see these housing reports, they can go to the Missoula Organization of Realtors website and yes. find all that information themselves as well. Yes, exactly. And providing housing that a typical work, working family can afford to buy started being a problem in early 1990s and it steadily has gotten to be worse uh, up until 2008 when the Great Recession hit Missoula. And at that time, the housing price actually got down to the point that it was fairly, fairly even keel, but then it took off as soon as the recession was over and started building, having to build housing again. So one of the things we're going to look at and talk about is the housing affordability index. It's in the Missoula Housing Report. And in the, in the housing affordable index, you look at a number of different things. You look at the medium income for a family of one, two, three, or four. You look at the medium sales price of the house, and you look at interest rates, closing costs, taxes, other things like that. And you figure out what a medium income family of four, say, with a minimal down payment can qualify for a loan. That will tell you what they can get, what they can buy, whether they could want to try to buy something more or not, they would not be qualified for it. So that's the maximum price they could buy. Yeah, um, I, from looking at the housing reports myself, uh, 100% uh, score on the housing affordability index means that uh, a family making an average income, spending a quarter of their income on housing, on a medium-priced home, if they can afford a medium-priced home, then that's 100%, correct? Yes, yes, yeah. And the last time it was at 100% where a medium four-person family could afford a house was in 2010. A medium four-person family, right. not a two-person family. Right, not a one-person or two-person family. They have never, in all the time we've been looking at this, been able to afford to buy a medium-priced house. Um, so, and that's an another part of the discussion, we'll get into that more later. But over the last eight years, it's gone from being a problem to being a crisis. The price of the medium price home has increased from $200,000 in 2010 to $290,000 in 2018. So over the eight year period, there's a 45% increase. During that same period of time, the medium family income went up by 15%. So basically, the Missoula public lost 30% of their buying power if they were first-time homebuyers. They, they could afford 30% less compared to the, to the medium income price than, than they could have eight years before. So, and as you said, in a, in a, in a balanced market, a four-person family can afford a medium income house. But in 2018, you would need a $95,000 income to qualify and afford to buy that medium price house. The median family income for, for a family of four was 70,400, so 77%. So they were 23% below. And of course, the average family in Missoula is not a four person family. The, the typical household is closer to two. So if you look at a two person household and see what their income was, their income was down at 56400 or 59% of what would be needed. With that kind of income, they could qualify to buy a $150,000 to $175,000 house. 
but those housing um, those housing prices aren't even really available are scarcely available on the market anymore. I looked at the multiple <laughs> listing last week, and for one hundred seventy five thousand dollars and below, you had a choice of old trailer houses or one condominium with no garage and no parking space available. That was it at that price. That's what a medium income two-person family can afford in Missoula. In my mind, that's a, that qualifies as a crisis. I just wanted to add that you said that in 2018, the median home price was, uh, well, when I looked, it said $297,000. Yeah. Uh, and then when I checked the median home price for the, just this year, 2019, up until uh, the last time they, they processed the numbers, that price was at 320K. I was shocked. Right, and that was going to be the next thing I got into is the fact that that the problem hasn't stopped. And obviously, I'm in, if you look at the, the statistics on, on MOR, uh, if it gives you just, you look at the monthly statistic, that isn't very valid because that's just for one month's activity and one real high price or one real low price could bounce it. But if you look at the last 10 months from January 1st to end of October, that's enough time that's statistically valid. And there it was at, what, $314,000. So if it goes up from two ninety seven, as you say, to $314,000, it hasn't stopped. It hasn't slowed down. So, so it, the problem's not going away. It's getting worse. Actually, I did a little bit of looking at the numbers from 2002 to 2012, 2012 to the report that was made yeah. in 2016, and then 2016 to 2018. So those are smaller increments of time, but for each of those increments, the, the increases in median home price were just more and more. So it's like just kept really snowballing, actually. Right. Exactly, yeah. And then, unless we do something, completely different than what we've done, been doing up to this point, it's not going to stop. It's going to keep on going. And it's not just a local problem. This is a national problem. I mean, you watch the TV, you do any, follow any of the news, anything like this, you'll see that there, in places like Seattle and LA and so forth, there are, are people with jobs who, are, who are, used to be considered fairly good jobs living in their car or on the street and they're homeless. They have nothing they can afford. Uh, so it, it is happening all over the place, but, but we still have some chances to make a difference in that. There's, there's still possibilities, but we have to move forward. Too bad we can't go backward and fix things first. <laughs> yes, <laughs> wave the magic wand. <laughs> yeah. So you gave me a great history before how we got here starting with when you started in real estate, which was 1972, I believe you That's said. That's correct, yes. And you took me through all those decades and you described what happened over those time periods that brought us to where we are now. Is that something you'd care to go over in this conversation? Yes, I'd like to do one other thing first, though. I'd like to take a look at rentals also. Ah. Because over 50% of our people are renters. And they have... In reality, a lot of them have a larger affordability problem than the home buyers do. Uh, the home buyer can choose not to buy a home; they can stay in the rental. But if if they're stuck in rentals and there's nothing affordable they can pay, they really have a serious problem. And, and rentals haven't gone up as rapidly as housing prices. They went up 20 percent as opposed to 35 percent. But that still means that they lost five percent of their of their buying power over just the last eight years, and who knows how much they've lost if you look back farther. Um, and in the rental market, they talk about a family being cost burdened. Cost burdened means that you're paying more than 30% of your income for housing, which doesn't leave you enough other income for all the other expenses, the clothing, food, healthcare, transportation, etc. And it really puts people in a, in a tough spot, especially the people in the, in the lower income brackets. And in Missoula, 69% of the renters in Missoula are cost burdened. There's a large percentage of them, I 
didn't pick up the actual percentages now, but I've heard it before, a fairly high percentage of people who pay more than 50% of their income for housing. That leaves them nothing for everything else they need in life. And the first time a car breaks down or lose a job or something, they're gonna be on the street or trying to live with friends or whatever. Another indication of, of how desperate people are in Missoula to, to get into something they can afford is the Missoula Housing Authority has what they call rent vouchers available. And if you get a rent voucher, uh, the money actually comes from HUD. If you get a rent voucher through the Housing Authority or anybody, any place else, then you can go out and find your uh, rental that you want to rent and you would rent it and you would pay 30% of your income for your share and the voucher would pay the rest of your rent. So once you get a, a housing voucher, then you no longer have to worry about if the rent goes up, then you can still keep renting it and, and you still only pay 30% of your income for it. And, but the problem with a rent voucher is we've got a total of 774 of them for the city. A few turn over every year. It varies, I don't have a, a really good figure. But there are 1,777 people on the waiting list. There are people who have been on the waiting list for a number of years now that haven't come to the top yet. So all of these people are so seriously cost burdened that they're gonna hang in there and hang in there and hang in there and hope for that that finally will come through for them. So, and the really people that are suffering the worst are really the ones we have no statistics on, ballot statistics on. They're the ones that are in and out of homelessness on a regular basis and who are having daily struggles trying to have enough food, et cetera, et cetera. And, and Missoula has, has done a lot better job than before at, at helping to support people with that, with all the different services there and everything. But, but when we look at the total picture, we have to remember that over half our people are renters, so we have to make sure we take care of that portion of the, of the public also. So we have to actually talk about a division in the population between those people who own homes and those people who rent because right. their situations are quite different. Yes, and as you go forward with your interviews, there are some people who are absolute experts on the homeownership portion, and there are some people who are incredible experts on their renters portion. So it will be good for you to touch base with people from on, on both of those fields. A college student years ago found out I was going to the legislature and to talk to people in the legislature, and he, and he was calling out from the Kaiman to interview me. He says, well, why do the realtors go to the Helena to talk to the legislators? What are you talking to them about? And I said, how much rent do you pay? He says, too much. I said, that's why we go. If, if they never did anything in Helena that didn't affect the cost of housing, we wouldn't have to go. But they do every year, so we have to be there. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. I hope to find out more about that in the course <laughs> of making this podcast. Yeah. So, yes. And so, is there anything else we should say about the renter market, uh, aside that it's also sounding pretty grim? Yes, I think that kind of sums it up. <laughs> Very <Okay>. grim. <laughs> Well, maybe if we talk a little bit about how we got here, mm -hmm. that'll give us a springboard to then talk about uh, some of the solutions also, so that people right. have a little bit, uh, some, something brighter to think about or yeah. look forward to. Okay, to talk about how we got here, and I could talk for hours about how we got here, but to kind of pare it down, I'd like to talk about two things. One is things we can't control, and one is things we can control. We being the city of Missoula, the city government, the people, the, all of the different nonprofits, et cetera, et cetera, everybody involved in the housing market in any way, shape, or form. The two things we can't control are location and things like zoning and land use planning and subdivision approvals and costs, building permit costs, and all the different costs that the government puts, puts on to building. All of these things we have some control over. And as far as our location, we're blessed by a wonderful location here, a beautiful valley surrounded by mountains with three rivers running in, one river, a larger river running back out, and 
most of these mounds around us are, are public lands, open to everybody, and hunting and fishing, hiking, biking, camping. In, in the wintertime, it's snowmobiling and sledding and skiing, and it's just a, a absolute recreation's paradise. Oh, and that, that paradise is part of the problem, isn't it? That's where you're going. <laughs> well, it is in two ways, actually. The one way it's a problem is that if you take a look at a map of the county of Missoula and you had the way to figure it out and you blocked out first all of the areas that belonged to the government, whether it be the Forest Service, the state lands, the, the county lands, city parks, airport, etc., and then you also blacked out all the lands that you can't build on because it's either too steep or it has conservation easements on it, or the rivers and streams, floodplains and, and wetlands and so forth, and, and just, and Orlando's already been developed. And looked at the map again, you discover that a very small percentage of Missoula County is actually available to build houses on, or apartments or anything else. And there's a lot of competition for that land, for ag uses, for parks, recreation, you know, there's, there's, so that having, if we lived in an open prairie with farmlands or pasture lands coming up to our boundaries, the land would be very cheap and there wouldn't be that much demand for it for, we wouldn't have a booming housing boom either. You mean if we were in eastern Montana, we wouldn't have this problem? Not at all. I'm from there, I know. Uh, so, when you have that small of a land source available, then of course the price of the land goes up. So the first, for the first price that you put on the sheet when you're figuring out what you can afford to build is the land costs. And the land costs are unnaturally high in Missoula, primarily because of things we can't control. And partially from things we can control too. And of course, as you've already mentioned, this beautiful place, this recreational paradise, attracts people who either don't need money because they're retired or have plenty of money or make money online, or they so much want to come out here and play that it's okay for four or five of them to pile into a little one-bedroom apartment because they spend most of the time outside anyway. And there's, that creates more and more demand for the Missoula. I, I've traveled a lot, and, and even overseas, as I mentioned to people in, in Europe. Where are you from? Missoula, Montana. Oh, Missoula! Really? Really. Nice. It, it's amazing, the reputation Missoula, Montana has. It seems like through most of the civilized world, part of the world. But anyway. Tell them to keep it a secret. Yeah, well, it is not a secret. <laughs> it's just too late for that. <laughs> um, so that we can't control. So we have to realize we have an infinite amount of land. We have to be very careful how we use it. And we have to make sure that we you know, are allowed to use the kind of density and so forth that it's going to take in the future that we can continue building for people over the long term. The things we can control are things like zoning and land use planning and subdivision approvals and costs, building permit costs, and all the different costs that the government puts on to building. All of these things we have some control over. And over the years, we've, we've made some mistakes, but I really don't want to go back and, and start bad-mouthing the things we've done that I would consider to be a mistake for two reasons. Number one is that these were decisions made in, in different times and with having different, knowing different things. And it wouldn't be fair to go back and say, well, you shouldn't have done that. Well, we, you didn't, we didn't know at that time where we'd end up now as a result of doing that. So I don't want to go and badmouth that, but the other reason is that now that we are living in a different time, in a different crisis, we can now go back and change those things because those are the things we can control. 
So instead of looking back at what things we did wrong, we have to look forward at what things we need to do right as we go forward. And I think we're in the process of doing that. Oh, but I didn't tell you anything about the recessions and the history, did I? I'll do that now. Okay. <laughs> the second thing we have no control over is national or international economic fluctuations. And there have been two since the 1970s that have affected Missoula. The first one was in the late 70s, early 80s, what they called the savings and loan recession. Because so many savings and loans associations went, went broke at the same time, our housing financing went broke. It, it didn't work anymore. And there weren't very many loans available. When they were loans, they were very high interest. They went from 8% to 12% to 14% loans. I mean, you just don't go out and build new houses when you, somebody has to pay a 14% loan to buy it from you. So the idea of buying, building any entry-level housing just went away altogether throughout the country, or most of the country anyway. But in Missoula, there was a much, much bigger, longer-lasting effect, and that is it was the, the final nail in the coffin of the Missoula build, uh, lumber industry and the logging and the hauling of the logs and the lumber mills and everything right down to when the boards got on the train and left Missoula to go someplace else to build houses. But that was one of our, our largest basic industry at that time. And it paid high middle income incomes. So it paid people well. They could, they could have a good family home here in Missoula and, and make a good living and, and go on about their business. So when, when all of those jobs were lost, and the majority of them were, probably 80% of the jobs that had been there were lost within, within a decade. And most of those jobs have gotten replaced by service jobs in, in the service industries, retail and so forth, and tourism and so forth. So we became more of a retail and tourism hub as opposed to a logging. That did improve the air, but it gave us a larger proportion of lower income people than most towns and cities the size of Missoula have. And we have to continue to recognize that as we plan for what housing we need. Also, I wonder if uh, when the lumber industry started to fold in this area, if then the cost of building materials also started to go up because it was no longer locally sourceable? Right, that was true. And there were even a window manufacturer here that built the windows we put in the houses. So that was true. Uh, but that isn't as important as, as the loss of a jobs. lot of other things, yes, all those jobs, yeah. Okay, moving on. So we had a financial crisis in the late 70s and early 80s, and then uh, financing became much more difficult to get. Right. Interest rates went way up, and then the lumber industry also folded. Right. So I think that's where we, where we left off. Right, yeah. <laughs> then the next recession was the Great Recession, which hit Missoula in 2008. Uh, and it didn't hit Missoula as hard as, as it did a lot of the country. The, the, so with the housing bubble burst, the Missoula housing bubble was just deflated. It went down about 10%. A lot of places in, in the United States saw 20 or 30% decrease in prices. So there was, of course, huge number of foreclosures, et cetera. So it was a lot of pain felt by a lot of people. Again, the building industry slowed dramatically at that point. The thing that was different about the Great Recession and the one previously is in the previous one, when the builders and, and so forth couldn't build in Missoula, they found there was still some building going on in some of the bigger cities. People that had access to big bank money as opposed to homeowners who, who were relying on savings and loans back in those days. So they could just move away and then when we, the building came back, they could come back again. But in this case, the whole country, the building industry slowed down. So they had no place else to go to work. A few of them went to the Bakken, that was still going on. The oil fields in, in Eastern Montana, that's now faded too, but at that time that was still booming, they went there. 
Um, but a lot of them just changed professions. My favorite uh, building supervisor is now a nurse. And I'm sure he's a good nurse. But there were times later on, after we got back to the building, I wished he was a building supervisor. <laughs> so when it bottomed out in Missoula in 2010, and then we started building again, the prices went up dramatically. There just weren't enough, wasn't enough skilled labor, plumbers, electricians, carpenters, etc. There weren't enough skilled laborers here, there weren't enough skilled laborers anyplace in the country. So the ones that were available could charge more money. And if they'd been going without a job for five years, they were gonna charge more money. You can try to make up for lost time. And it wasn't just the skilled laborers, it was a whole pipeline of materials you needed to build a house, the concrete, the lumber, the roofing material, the kitchen sinks, everything. Everything went up in price, and, and the prices just started climbing, and they've been going crazy ever since. And they've been averaging about 7% a year in cost increases. And as we look at the increase in price again this year, that tells me that more than likely the cost of building hasn't slowed down either. Although I haven't checked back in about six, six eight months, I guess. So with all those costs going up, you can't keep building the same house and expect to sell it. You're gonna to have to find something different to do. And I would love to get to that something different in just a moment. When we first sat down, you were telling me about some of the history of the housing market, and there was right. one other thing I wanted uh, you to go over, if you don't mind. You said that when you first started in real estate, there were lots, maybe it was in the 90s, I think, when people started right. being able to purchase again, right. that there were still lots left over, and there was still land left over that people could build on, and that it was still possible to build duplexes. I think people started building duplexes, or was that no. in the 2000s? Maybe I should let you tell yeah. In the early 90s, the interest rates finally came down so people could buy houses. And I was working as a realtor. So I started getting first-time home buyers to come back in the market and come and talk to us and see what was available. And even though interest rates had come down, the money was available, we discovered that the housing prices had gone up enough that the typical young family looking for a new home couldn't afford to buy what was on the market. But we recognized the fact that there were a lot of lots available left over from the boom in the early 70s before the savings loan recession hit. So uh, it, was, uh, it was possible to buy a lot, hire a builder, build a house that people wanted for that, for that lot, and sell it to them for less than the one next door was, was on the market for. So that worked quite well until ran out of lots. I think it took a year or two before there were no more lots available. Uh, that had been developed before. So we went to see a, a land use planner, surveyor and so forth, and said, we want to develop some more land. And we've got this piece of ground over there we want to turn it into a bunch of lots to, to build houses on. And we got the prices and discovered that the cost of the infrastructure was more than what those lots were selling for. Which and, is really prohibitive. <laughs> yes. So that just wasn't going to work. So that was the time at which uh, it became obvious to anybody who was trying to build housing for that lower end, for the first time home buyers, that the three bedroom house and an 8,000 square foot house lot with a double car garage wasn't gonna work. So the advent of the smaller house and the smaller lot came, came along and a lot of two story homes, which we hadn't built in Missoula for years, and nobody knew if you could sell two-story houses or not, but turns out you can quite easily. <laughs> it works. Um, and that evolved, and, and as we went forward through the years, the size of the lot had to keep shrinking, and, and some we had to have more townhomes and fewer single-family homes in, in order to keep building at the target market, which was below the medium price house, because that's where the people who needed the house the most were at. Um, and at this time, I don't know 
what we could build for the medium income buyer because I haven't tried in three or four years. I'm sure it can still be done, but I'm not sure how dense it's going to have to be to make that happen or how close to the tiny house we're going to get to make that happen. I mean, I guess one of the solutions described in Make Missoula Home Missoula Housing Policy was infill and ADUs, uh, all of which are much smaller footprints than a normal home size. But it also did say in that same housing policy that we are going to have to look at other options than the typical options that we've been accustomed to seeing up until this point in time. Yeah, that will definitely have to happen. And exactly what it is, I can't tell you that. I don't think we've discovered it yet in Missoula. Well, I think that's where something like this podcast comes in handy because there are so many entities involved that have to change their regulation or their structure in order to uh, allow or facilitate people to come up with alternatives to the options already presented because financing People have a a lot of difficulty getting financing for alternative structures because those loans are not necessarily resaleable on the national market. Zoning can be quite restrictive if you want to build a tiny home but you need to pave a certain area and put in two parking spaces and have certain setbacks and all of that gets quite prohibitive for people who start looking into it. I know because I did. And uh, the list keeps going, right? Right, yeah. Yeah, the problem with a tiny home is that the lot would cost considerably more than the, than the home. And that's where organizations like Homeward have been very useful because they were able recently to provide five, five or six small homes right. on a land trust. And because right. it was a land trust, uh, they did not have to factor the cost of the land into the cost of the right. home. Exactly. And were therefore, yes, able to offer more affordable housing. Now, that's a little different than having a standalone home on a single lot because you don't get the same return on your investment if you right. don't own the land. But it still gets people into a home that they can call yes. their own. Yeah, there will be a lot of innovations like that coming. We've been, we do have an organization here in Missoula that's been doing land trusts for a number of years. They've been quite successful, but. Uh, it's going to be more difficult for them going forward because the cost of land is so much higher than it was before. Uh, but all of those things are things that will will be considered in what is now the next step. And the, we've been talking about all the bad news up to now. Oh, let's get to some good news, Can please. We talk to some good news, yes. People are going to stop listening. <laughs> The good news is that the housing crisis is so bad that people have finally recognized it. It's kind of like climate change. Yes, except climate change hasn't gotten there yet, (laughs) unfortunately. Some people say it's a crisis now, but I'm sorry, go ahead. It is, but the majority of the people who have to do something about it don't agree with us yet. Oh, I see what you mean, Yes. yes. So that's the difference. Here in Missoula, it's widely recognized through the general population, the city government, the county government, the business leaders, the private citizens, the little organizations that are wanting to help anybody any way they can and make Missoula a better place. They're all recognizing the fact we do have a housing crisis here and they're all getting on board to do something about it. And I'm optimistic because what I've seen before is when Missoula recognizes a problem, they'll pull together and they'll figure out how to fix it. And they've done that so much. You look around the town, you see that over and over and over again. In the winter of 2016, 2017, the Missoula Organization of Realtors were having conversations with the city government and the building industry and the county government. And we put together a coalition to raise some money to hire an expert to come in and look at our problem give us a thorough analysis of what our problem was and analyze it from an outsider's point of view, from an expert's point of view, who's done this sort of thing all over the West for years. And we hired Word with Associates out of New Mexico. And they came in and spent almost a year with really intense inspection of everything and interviews with 
people from all different walks of life and all different places in focus groups, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they studied it all, and they came up with their report in, when was that, 2018? Yeah, January of 2018, they came out with their report, Making Missoula Home a Path to Attainable Housing. It's a 127-page report with 21 pages of recommendations. So that's a lot to swallow. <laughs> and people can find that report online. I believe it might be under the Office of Housing and Community Development. Yes. If they look there, they can find it. I think they can find it. Yes, that's correct. Yeah. And so the city got that. Then they started doing the process to use that as a guide to build a city housing policy. We never really had a citywide housing policy before. We had housing regulations, but not a housing policy. Maybe we could talk for just a moment about the difference right. between a bunch of regulations right. and a policy. Like, a policy right. is a cohesive plan right. or brings all of the, those regulatory entities together, whereas before or prior to this point, it's been kind of scattered. And maybe, I don't know how good communication is between the entities, but with a cohesive policy, it's something everyone can look at. Right. I would say that the difference between a policy and a regulation is the regulations are set up to deal with an individual problem, looking for some regulation to make sure that that's done right. It doesn't look at the big picture. That's not the job of the regulation necessary to look at the big picture. And the policy is an overriding policy that looks over a lot of things. A lot of things, regulation are just a small part of it. There's also financing picture. There's looking at the possibility of a housing trust. I mean, if people look at that housing policy and just look right in the executive summary there, I think it's on the right. first page, they can see all of the entities and people who contributed information, time, yes. expertise to creating that policy, and right. it's a long list. Yeah, yeah. That's just the start, too, the, the ones they, they have on the list on the front page of all the people. But there were a lot of other people, they re groups they re reached out to also. So it, so the policy also has to include all of the money that, that comes through Missoula and gets used by the nonprofits for their works work in the housing arena. And so it, it encompasses all of that. And it was passed just recently. It included most of the recommendations in the Worworth Report. So you kind of think, oh, good, we're there. No, we're not. Now the policy has to be implemented. It's like we have the architectural plan in front of us, but nothing is built, right? Yeah, it's even worse than that. We have an architectural plan, but we haven't got a permit for any of it. Oh, right, because the permits have to change first, right? All of those permissions and all of those regulations yes. have to shift first. Yes, you can take something like a line and leverage existing funding resources to support housing. That, that's, a, that's a policy. Well, that means that there's three or four different regulations out there that they've been living with all the time of how this different how these different things work. And now it has to become part of a total policy. Reduce barriers to new supply and promote access to affordable homes. That's a policy now. But all the land use planning and zoning and building regulations and everything that are in place that hinder that will have to be changed to some degree to make that possible. We need an implementation plan to implement the plan. They are right now working on implementing the plan, uh, the housing policy. And, and they actually, on their website, they actually have implementation updates. So you can follow what's going on. Oh, okay, perfect. Just Google search Missoula housing policy. Right. You'll find all the stuff. Yep. Okay. Yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I think with this process, it's been a real eye-opener for a lot of people. And it's gotten a lot of press. A lot of people got behind it. It's a movement. And we, we are good at having movements in Missoula. And I love the direction that this one's going. So I'm optimistic that, that we will get some good out of this. And, and we have to. Well, I'm happy to hear you say that because since you've been a realtor since 1972 uh, and you've been involved in affordable housing creation, uh, preservation, and implementation, all of that stuff, all of these years, and you feel that there's cause to feel positive rather than negative, I, I think that's a good reason for people to have hope. Right. There's two reasons I have that hope. 
Number one is I recognize what would happen if we don't do it. We're going to be like um, Jackson, Wyoming, <laughs> Whitefish, yeah. all those big cities where the, the teachers get piped in from like two hours away because they can't afford to live anywhere near where they work. Exactly. And that's my worst fear, and I would hate to live in a city that let that happen. But I think the vast majority of people in Missoula would hate to see that happen. And once they realize that that is the choice, um, I'm expecting the groundswell to continue. I'm expecting the people to come forward and, and support these policies. And I would just encourage everybody to get to know bits and pieces of this that you have some feeling towards and, and find ways of supporting it. If, if you want to get together with a, a, a local organization that is very active in this and that can always use more help, it's the Missoula Interfaith Collaborative. They've been around for a long time, always doing good deeds for different people here and there, but they've gotten highly involved in the affordable housing in, in this whole process. And they are very active and very effective. Well, we have to have, when it comes down to debates in front of the city council, which it will at times, is we have to have something then other than the usual suspects. The usual suspects being the builders and the realtors saying we need to be able to build this cheaper housing. The usual suspects being the people, the neighborhood association saying you can't ruin our neighborhood. You can't possibly, don't change anything in this city. You could ruin it. So the usual suspects will be there. But what we need is the other people in Missoula, the people who need the housing, the people who know people who need housing, the people who understand that we can't go down that road and can't become the next Jackson Hole or, or even Bozeman. So you need the renters who are paying 50 to 60% of their income per month on uh, living expenses or the first time home buyers who saved up some of their money and went and looked around for a house in Missoula and figured out that they can't afford anything. Yeah, that's the problem is that the people who need this the most have the most to, to lose by it, not by it failing, are not people who are likely to take part in the debate. But that we can get some of them, we'll, we'll do good. I mean, I, I, that's why I love the Missoula Interfaith Collaborative so much. They bring a lot of diverse entities together to foster communication yes. and cross-pollination of ideas right. and... And I also read in the um, Missoula Housing Policy, that whole report, that uh, the process, this whole process of implementing this policy also needs people spreading the word, yes. gathering information. And I thought, ah, that's me. Yes. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> that's me. Yeah. So, Colin, let's see. What, what do you think is Missoula's best way to, to move forward in terms of is there anything that you want to personally add to the whole conversation? There isn't any one thing. There's not even any ten things that are going to accomplish it. So the only thing I like to say is that this whole policy as a whole, as it gets implemented, will work as a whole but you start breaking pieces of it off and making it not work, then it's subject to possible failure. So that's the one thing I would say is that don't become complacent and think, well, yeah, the people are up in their arms about this, so let's give up on this because we've still got all these other things. I don't believe that. So basically, Missoula as a community has to be firing on all cylinders Right. to make this happen and if one person uh, turns their or if one entity turns their back on it then the whole thing could fall apart yeah we we need to keep pushing forward and make sure it truly does get implemented well this will be a test of our true Missoula community and yeah. i have a lot of faith in this community so right. i'm going to choose to be hopeful yes i am i'm hopeful well, Colin, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today about all of this. And do you have any final comments before I turn this recorder off? No. Nope. Just thank you for having me. Thank you so much. 
you so much for listening to Zap, the Zootown Affordable Housing Podcast. We were just speaking with Colin Bangs, realtor in Missoula for 46 years, about the housing crisis facing us in Missoula today. I hope you enjoyed this episode and find yourself more informed than before. If you or anyone you know would like to contribute an interview, if you want more information about each episode, or to find out how to support Zap, please visit rebeccakelly.podbean.com. That's Kelly with an E-Y. Special thanks to Chris Moyles with Starlight Reunion Studios for your invaluable help with production of this podcast, and also to Missoula Community Radio for your ongoing mentorship and open learning platform. Thank you for joining the Zootown. Affordable housing podcast Affordable is stable Afford means that you're able To make your wages last Through debt, rent, or expenses While even retaining some senses Stability with the ability To do things differently Retainable, unstrainable Oh, hello, information Help relieve this situation And zap So many alternatives So many voices Filled with ideas on how to live Start making choices That improve the collective And zap Incentivize creation And zap Promote collaboration